Well, we are continuing to look at the three-layer approach to discipleship as we see it in Titus 2. And today, we're looking at really that content of what is communicated in Titus or really communicated from the Apostle Paul to this pastor who he is coaching. Um, We see right from the start in chapter 2, as you have seen this a number of times, where he says, as for you, in contrast to the false teachers, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We've looked at that sound doctrine of the gospel as, as we see in verses 11 through 14, and we'll read here. We've looked at um, the relationships within there of, of the importance of um, looking at my, uh, the importance of acting out and, or, or displaying what it looks like to follow Christ and the importance of coaching those who are ready to, uh, in an area of their relationship with Christ, they're, they're ready to go deeper. Or they're ready to, to play harder, if you will. Um, so he says, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And today we're going to be looking at what is that that he's to be teaching in terms of what accords? Uh, what is he to be teaching those older men and those older women, as we'll look at today and next week, those younger men and younger women? So he goes on, he says, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And then we, as we've looked at the basis of all of this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. I got to tell you, that last verse 15 kind of gives me a sense of, boy, if somebody feels a um, little pinned down over these couple weeks, I can just say, I'm just obeying verse 15 here. Um, but, you know, uh, so I had one of those experiences this Thursday where 
I woke up in the middle of the night and my heart was kind of like doing these funny things and went back to sleep and woke up in the morning, just had this pressure and tightness on my chest. And, and um, so we went to the ER and uh, it's funny because you just say chest pain and boy, if you ever want to get in real quick, just say chest pain no. or, or chest tightness or anything. You know, I finally had to get it together that when they were like asking about pain, they're like, I'm like, now do you mean pressure and tightness too? Because there's really not pain. But um, so, you know, you're surrounded by like four or five people all of a sudden, you're getting these patches put on you and these wa- hooking these wires up on, you know, um, all around and stuff. And, and they read that first EKG and for them it was like, okay, we're good. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden it's just like two of them in the room, you know, um, which is always uh, good uh, to know and, and encouraging. But, you know, in some ways I've told people um, I felt kind of like Fred Sanford calling out for Elizabeth. Um, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> but... Um, you know, in these situations, in these situations, really, we kind of bring ourselves to ask, what is it all about? What is it all about? And, and it's certainly, as we seek to follow Christ in a culture that seeks a, to draw us away from God, we need to remember what it's all about. And to start with, first of all, it's about our relationship with him. It's about having our sins having been poured out on Christ and given the opportunity of salvation for every single person on the face of this earth sitting there waiting like a gift under the Christmas tree, having received that for ourselves. And having started the relationship with him, not based on our works or our righteousness, but based on him. And, and, and having, as Romans 8.16 talks about, his spirit testify to our spirit that we are children of God. To have his Holy Spirit indwelling us and to be able to walk with him that, that in any situation, in any sense of shame that might heap on us, in any sense of of needing to turn and, and renew our walk with him again, to know that we do that in his full righteousness. It's certainly all about that, for sure. But in looking at Timoth- uh, Titus 2, there, there's something that pops up several times in our verses here, and it communicates to them and to us that it is all about him and not about us. It's about him and not about us. Three times in our nine verses, we find similar purpose statements that speak to this fact. We see it in uh, verse five, where uh, Paul writes to Titus about the young women of the church, and he says, so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And here's the purpose statement, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
So we see for these young wives, the, the, the purpose of what Paul is communicating is that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, obviously, there are other purposes, other results, other benefits to walking in any context in which we are in and asking the question, how does God desire for me to live in this moment, in these situations, in this season of life? And we'll get more into this next week. I keep saying that with regard to these verses, but with regard to the, the, um, these needed purposes in the culture of Crete and the freedom in Christ that came to young wives as they received Christ as their Savior and them needing to walk through both the, the, the dominance and the oppressiveness of the Greek um, expectation of young wives and also their freedom of Christ in Christ and so but Paul's main purpose in what he communicates here is let the word of God not be reviled it's not about you it's about him we see it as he talks to Titus also about his ministry when he says show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show in dig- integrity dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not may be so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us for the preacher himself, the purpose was do all these things, make sure. And as I said, there's other results, there's other purposes, there's other benefits. But in this context, we're reminded of the fact that Paul's telling them, it's not about you, it's about what God wants to do through you, in you, around you. And even in his speaking to bond servants, his verses 9 and 10, he says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything, here's the purpose statement, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. So for bond servants, the idea was that they in their service would be uh, window dressing, of something bigger than them. This gospel doctrine that, that so was, was so needed in the Cretan culture. And let me give you insight into this, what I and what others think is the Apostle Paul's concern for the early church. I've mentioned before that Christianity was considered a minority religion within the Roman Empire. And their willingness Uh, willingness to worship the emperor was a litmus test of loyalty to the Roman government. And uh, the expositor's commentary says minority religions of which Christianity would have been considered. Minority religions were already viewed as subversive and to counter this prejudice, Christians had to work especially hard to avoid the normal causes of slander by the unbelievers that were surrounding them. And Paul's overarching theme in these exhortations was exactly this. It's not about you. It's not about fulfilling your desires. 
In verse 11, we can see this concern for the well-being of the church and for their witness. I had a, a mentor in preaching that told me one time, just bring the meal out. Don't take them back into the kitchen and show them how you prepared it. Just bring the meal out. But we're going to go back into the kitchen a little bit here because I want you to see, um, as we've talked about, uh, that as First Timothy is a parallel letter to Paul's uh, another pastor that Paul is mentoring at the same time, that a lot of the same themes are covered there. And I want you to see Paul's heart for Crete and Paul's heart for the church in Crete that Titus is pastoring, that they not let their freedom in Christ be a, a barrier to people coming to Christ by upsetting the culture too much. So he says, for the grace of God, you remember in verse 11, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Paul reminds them that God can reach anyone and that it's a major purpose of the church. And this concern to uh, to keep from having a bunker mentality nor encouraging persecution is made clear in 2 Timothy 2 as we see in verses 1 through 4, where Paul writes to Timothy, first of all then, and I want you to see the parallel to Paul's statement that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people that he says to Titus. He says to Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, can you pray for all people? Well, no, the term all can mean a number of things. It can mean all like every single one, and it can mean all types. That's two of the, 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 can be the meanings of. And you can see in the context here, he's talking about pray for all types of people. And the, and the churches in Ephesus likely had stopped doing this, like we're not going to pray for those government officials. And so he continues in verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Again, that our witness would not be harmed within this community. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So, and I would argue in verse four, he desires all types of people to come to salvation. When seeing these reminders to both these pastors side by side, we can better understand the original intent. First, living peaceful, quiet, godly, dignified lives that don't invite persecution is valuable. And secondly, God may add to the number of his children from any sector of society, and we should welcome this. You know, um, the world has a different message. I picked up a Sprite can that was at, in my kitchen this past week, and uh, it was, obviously it has some different markings, and it, it says it's a limited edition. And um, I just, just was uh, struck and, and caught by surprise by the, the, you know, their statement is obey your thirst, Right? Well, this uh, has Obey Your Verse, limited edition collector's series. Obey Your Verse. And I'm like, 
what is it talking about here? So you turn to the other side and it has a quote here. And the quote, here's your verse to obey. The world is yours. The world is yours. This is not the statement of it's not about us. It's about him. I, I mean, think about this. For, it doesn't take long to, to think about how ridiculous this would be if everybody obeyed this verse, right? Ask yourself, what if everybody lived by this philosophy at the same time? Because you see, we're all sharing the same world. We, we would either become very disenchanted with this lie on this can or we could even find what is illustrated, we could even be illustrating what we find in James 2 really quickly where he says, you desire and do not have, so you murder and covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Believing this statement, we would fight and quarrel and kill with a sense of manifest destiny. The world is mine. Yet we have a tendency to believe that God is mine. And he is here to make my life a better time on this earth. And if he's not doing that, what good is he? But it's not about us. It's about him. These statements of purpose here we find in Timothy 2, or Titus 2, should be a reminder of the fact that each of our roles lived out in a godly fashion is about furthering his purposes and making much of him in our culture. This is and should be, it should be helpful if we find obedience in God within our position as being unfulfilling at times. Whether that being older, younger, preacher, slave, it's not about us. It's about him. Well, secondly here, we see as we go into the statements on older men and older women, it's about being an anchor, not a drifter. Uh, next week, uh, I've, um, I'm preaching a little bit shorter this week. And one thing that, that um, doesn't help stress is losing a whole day because of stress. But um, next week, we'll look at its... Um, it's about being a learner, not a luster, when we get into the younger men and younger women. But here, it's about being an anchor, not a drifter. It says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women. These categories probably describe um, middle age and up, empty nesters for sure uh, in our culture, but middle, midlife and beyond. The alternative to young women and men typically referred to, um, alternative to this where he talks about young men and young women, in that culture it would have been newly marrieds, uh, new parents, or, or singles uh, living on their own or ready to. There are two places where we've been recently that ha are helpful for us to remember as we look through these characteristics of older men and older women that should be encouraged. The first idea to keep in mind is the life-saving grace of God that's intended to be life-changing grace. 
right? We looked at that in verses 11 through 14, that God's life-saving grace is intended to be life-changing grace. And, And if you recall in verses 11 and 12, he says, the grace of God, it's training us to renounce ungodliness and the worldly passions and in, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly in this present age. We talked about the fact that growth is growing from ungodliness to godliness or, or toward godliness as it takes a lifetime. And the description of godly characteristics in these older men and women of the faith are not intended to be special cases. They're simply those of middle-aged and on that have taken the life change of God's grace seriously. And they've moved from ungodliness toward godliness. The second idea to keep in mind that we've looked at recently is the fact that we've, we've learned this summer from the descriptions of servants and shepherds. And if you recall, the vital signs of a servant and shepherd are what we're called to grow in. As, as we see here in Titus, the traits from 1 Timothy that describe women associated with deacons, um, as well as the traits in Titus and in Timothy uh, describing men who should be uh, uh, shepherds and elders and servants. So here's where I get to say, I told you so. These are all traits that are expected of all of us to be growing in. These are vital signs for being serious about following Christ. So we first see here in old, for older men, it says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Let me say first, as I mentioned before, Paul is challenging specifically the older women to get into those homes and minister to the younger women. It was a great need in Crete. In Greek culture, that the older men were working with the younger men was assumed. Okay, so, so we need to read that training of the younger into what is said about the older men as well. Okay? Even though Paul isn't mentioning it here, it wasn't needed to be said for Crete. It was assumed in Greek culture. So the strength, let me say, that of any church is going to be most affected by the quality of its men. Just as the strength of any home is going to be most affected by the man of the house. And as one writer puts it, the value of their example will depend on their moral character. He, chal- he, he reminds Titus they need to be sober-minded, clear-headed, well-tempered. One example would be that, that our emotions shouldn't easily get a hold of our actions and words. That to be dignified, this means worthy of respect. A mature Christian men's behavior should call for respect rather than the re- just the respect that someone might give that to them due to their age. It should, their behavior should call for respect. That's what dignified means. They're to be self-controlled. And this quality is expected of all groups listed here. And older men should be the first of these examples. The definition of self-controlled here is possessing self-mastery in thought and judgment. And as we grow, we 
should have grown in our ability to, to let the Holy Spirit filter the fleshly desires and thoughts. And this should result in our being trustworthy in what we say and do. He continues on with to be sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. It shows here that we've taken following Christ seriously. We should always be developing in these qualities of the spirit-filled life of walking in faith and love and hope. Those are three ingredients that God is always going to be working more and more into our perspectives and our actions and reactions to everything that we face. And just as with the qualities of leadership, God's going to be working on these in me and in any of you men for the rest of our lives. But men growing in these qualities is imperative to a strong church and a strong home. You know, you may have remembered the movie from some time ago, Grumpy Old Men, starring uh, Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. Basically, neighbors who did nothing but insult each other and uh, try to sabotage each other's lives. Grumpy old men are funny on screen, but they're a tragedy in the family and in the church. And I'm not saying that my family doesn't have to put up with a grumpy middle-aged man every now and then. When I realize it, whatever it be, my self-centeredness or my self-pity or whatever, I, I repent and I seek their forgiveness. It's not about getting this right the first time, guys. Even worse than a grumpy old man is a dirty old man. A grumpy old man will steal your joy, but a dirty old man wants to steal a woman's value as a human being. Um, But you know what, though? There's no age limit to change. There is no age limit to change. I know you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that's not true when it comes to following Christ. Uh, We have a problem in in our culture in that even, doesn't matter how old you are, we need to know what does it mean to be a man? What does authentic manhood look like? I just want you to know, I've put an article on the corner table back there. It's just titled Authentic Manhood. And by picking it up, it doesn't mean you don't know what it means to be a man or anything like that. But I would encourage you to grab a copy of that article. It's very good. It's based on Robert Lewis's authentic manhood work. Uh, which I think is is excellent. So it's about being an anchor, not a drifter. And Paul addresses older women too. He says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train younger women. We've seen this term likewise before uh, where he says older women likewise. He's basically saying in the same way. Okay, and so by this, we can assume that everything that he said about older men is also ap- applicable to older women as well. 
And he adds some things that would have been prominent in the Cretan culture as well. Um, in addition to these, the women of middle-aged and on should be developing reverent behavior. And this means having a sense of calling or purpose to life that understands that they are called to follow Christ. Really living in that understanding that it's not about me, it's about him. And you may have heard a friend say, I've, I've given my best years to raising my kids and now I am going to live the life that I should have had. And that's the opposite of what Paul is talking about. Wasting life in drunkenness maybe probably was a problem in, in Cretan culture, but it certainly would be a, a wasted opportunity today as well. Another characteristic that's contrary to reverent behavior is slander. As we've seen before in 1 Timothy, this is the same term, diabolos, which basically means she-devil. And the reason is that, that one of the characteristics of the devil is that he drums up our past failures and sins before God. And the slanderer reviews one's sins to another. And they always get embellished, always adds assumptions of their heart or, or of their actions. I want to say, in Scripture, there are few places where a person is accused of being in league with Satan in effort against his church. And that's what Paul is saying about slander. In reviewing other people's sins, if it re describes you, you need to repent. And I would hope that you wouldn't listen to someone that likes to. They are to teach what is good, he says, speaking specifically on that idea of training young women. As we looked at last week, it's, it's, it's much like, um, just as much as the life, I'm sorry, the life that the woman lives it is what makes her worthy to be followed just as much as the doctrine that she might teach. And the younger women need to be trained by the gospel truth of sound doctrine. I remember uh, hearing a joke one time about a, a, um, an older woman with a large car comes up to a parking space and a younger woman with a sporty little car comes up to the same parking space. And, uh, you know, before anything could happen, the younger woman with the sporty car just kind of pulls into the spot. And as she's getting out, she kind of looks at the older lady still in her car, just kind of looking at her in disbelief. She says, that's what you can do when you're young and quick. And so the older woman puts it in gear and <laughs> plows through the sporty little car, taking up the parking space, gets out of her car, closes the door and says, that's what you can do when you're old and rich. <laughs> With the dumbfounded look still on the young woman's face. Obviously, being older has opportunity a lot more than just showing somebody how it's done. Paul is talking about the fact that there's such opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of for those younger women in the church. 
Really, it's talking about those young marrieds, those young moms, those young singles. I'm going to share with you something um, in application here. And to be honest, I'm not comfortable sharing it. Um, but God wants me to, so I need to. And if there's any of you who are like, he's talking directly to me, this isn't fair. That's, that's not it, okay? Because you have to decide if it fits you or not. I don't know who it does. But, but the Lord has laid, with us being a congregation of grandparents so much, the Lord has really laid something on my heart to share over the course of, of years, really. Um, many of you have experienced being grandparents, and that is something that I don't, un, don't know of. And one day it might be that you have to remind me of the same thing. Um, please don't take what I say to mean to be true of anybody that's a grandparent here, okay? Um, at the same time, don't take my hesitancy to make you feel like it's not a big deal. Being a grandparent is an amazing opportunity. You get the fun of spoiling kids and going home and leaving the parents with the aftermath, you know? As with many good things in life, we can turn a good thing into an ultimate thing. And that's when it becomes an idol. If your relationship with your grandkids or your need to be available to them, if it might keep you from being involved in the training that God wants you to do in fellow believers' lives, it becomes an unfortunate thing. Just how much involvement is is, uh, um, with grandkids, that is between you and God. Just how much involvement with with people in this body or in the community of discipleship, that is between you and God. I'm pushing you back to your relationship with Christ to seek this out. And that's what discipleship is always about. But you have to walk through this yourself. And, and um, let me give you a couple questions just to ask yourself, okay? And this would be helpful, I think. Uh, when a grandkid opportunity comes up, am I motivated by fear and guilt? Am I afraid of how af- it might affect the relationship or if I feel guilty if I, if I can't make it for it? Now, this is important because you don't want to give uh, Satan control of your decision-making processes. Okay, so, so check yourself to see, am I motivated by fear and guilt? And secondly, am I saying no to being involved in others' lives because I want to be available for family events? Two simple questions. And um, the Lord will, will direct you, I believe. We have a sheet here that um, I think most everybody's gotten... This is, this is one of those things where you write your name on it, but this is also one of those things where everybody is not expected to fill it out. This is an opportunity, okay? Because we've been talking about the need in discipleship for, for there to be a foundation of solid doctrinal teaching and somebody needs to be able to see following Christ being modeled for them and then uh, wanting to grow in an area the need to be coached 
is, is kind of that third layer of discipleship in any given area of following Christ. And there's areas of example here. Being a godly husband or wife, spending quality time with God, studying the Bible, living with self-control, sharing my faith with others, defeating the flesh, which probably could be living with self-control too. General. And this is just an opportunity. All right? And our youth group that's here, if you guys want to mark things down, get it to your youth leaders. All right? Um, but I just want to encourage you. Uh, we're going to have an extended time of, uh, of uh, praise response today. Um, uh, if you notice, it was shorter at the beginning. But just during that time, feel free to fill this out, and you can, the table that's under the window in the back, you can feel free to leave it there. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, we'll try to pair people up, okay? Um, again, coaching is, is fun because you're working with somebody that wants to play the game. And, and this is giving the opportunity for those that are willing to coach to be connected with those that want to be coached. Um, but again, no, everybody's not required to fill this out, and please put your name on it so we can know. Um, I'll probably be the only one that sees them and uh, connects people and stuff. But let's close in prayer while the uh, praise team comes forward. Lord, you have provided everything that we need for life and godliness. And Lord, we're reminded from your word that one of the things that we need to grow in the way that you have planned for us is each other. And Lord, our body needs spiritually mature older men and spiritually mature older ladies. And Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I sincerely thank you for um, the fact that I look around and see so many that love you that have spent a lifetime or even just a short time growing in you and want to grow more. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be surrounded by those that are following you wholeheartedly. And Lord, all of us need to grow in these aspects more and more. And we, Lord, we pray that you give us a hunger for growth until the day that we, that we enter into your presence. Father, I pray that you might use this opportunity for us to be connected for um, the goal of, of being, being coached further in what it means to follow you in any given area that you're laying on our hearts and our minds as of late. Lord, you're good and you're great. We can trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.